When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an Espination blog dedicated to your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, Petey, and I'm back this week with Eric Seeds. Seeds, how's it going, man? Hanging in there, man. You got all your Christmas shopping done yet? I actually do. I'm very proud of myself. I got I got it going around Thanksgiving, just wanted to get it out of the way, and all the family's coming into town, so I don't have to worry about shipping anything, which makes it a lot easier, so it all just ordered online, brought it here, so we're good to go. So that's one bit of stress gone. Still a lot of other holiday stress, got a lot of baking to do all that, but at least the presents are taken care of. So what about you? I have ordered or purchased everything. Now I'm just praying it shows up on time. So Right, yeah. So yeah, Amazon, USPS, do your job, all that. So, All right, so yeah, it's been a few weeks. We got a lot to talk about. We know that you want to hear our hot takes about what happened last week against Buffalo. We've got hot takes for you. But first, I want to run down some quick hit news items, get our thoughts on those. Uh, First, last week, last week on Monday, Jake Voracek met with the media to talk about what he's going through. Uh, The team had revealed that he is dealing with concussion symptoms. Uh, He suffered a hit to the face in the first Finland game, uh, and his symptoms have not subsided. He has not been cleared to play. Uh, he himself said that he is. Uh, there's a slim chance, only a slim chance, that he could return this year. He does still want to play again. He's got a year left in his contract. He wants to play if he can, but 
it certainly is not looking great right now. Um, what, what was your reaction to, uh, to the news about Voracek and his session with the media? Generally speaking, just sadness overall. Yeah. Um, Jake's a great guy on and off the ice. He's a great human, great person. Um, it's sad that he won't be able to play this year in all likelihood. Um, I think the team could definitely use someone of his quality and caliber in the locker room, a, a, vo- a well-respected veteran voice that's been around a long time. Um, not, that, not that the locker room doesn't have that, but you know, just someone else you know who's been around for a long time that 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 voice for especially a young team is never um never goes unappreciated um whether regardless of whether or not he ever plays again for columbus um i just hope he from a quality of life standpoint recovers well enough to uh have a good quality of life post his hockey career in the way like someone like rick nash has um i know he said they'd spoken some um Mm -hmm. hope uh which is good. I hope Nash continues to be that resource for him. Um, I hope they can, uh, um, I just hope Voracek is able to kind of recover and have a good quality of life, regardless of whether or not he gets back on the ice again. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I respect him for exercising caution with this. Um, You know, he mentioned that part of what has given him pause here is that, you know, it was just a, a hit to the face. You know, it wasn't like a, full on hits the, you know, brain area, uh, which has had caused his previous concussions. So I think he was worried about if that kind of hit, kind of a glancing hit could cause these symptoms, what could another big hit do to him? And I think that has him spooked a bit. So I I think it's important, as you said, for his long term quality of life to not put himself in danger, you know, unless uh unless he's totally cleared of everything. Um, so I'm hoping I would love nothing more than to see him back on the ice. Um, if this is it, this would be a shame of a way to, for his career to end. Um, but, um, you know, let's be thankful for the time that we have with him. He had an amazing season last year, led the team in points. Uh, our own Burkus wrote a great tribute to him last week. So I recommend people check that out if you haven't already. So uh, our thoughts are with Jake. Best of luck to him. Hopefully he's not a stranger in the locker room in the city. Uh, he's definitely a, a blue jacket for life. Um, speaking of future blue jackets, um, I was a little curious about some roster decisions made by Team Canada for the World Juniors. Corson Kuhlmans and Denton Matejchuk, you know, two of our first round defensemen from recent years. Neither of them made the pre-tournament camp for Team Canada. The only jacket to make the te- the camp was Jordan Dumais, who is you know having a tremendous season lighting up the the, uh, the scoreboard there. But he missed the final cut uh, today when they announced the final roster. Um, were you surprised by any of this, disappointed by any of this? Especially for Kuhlman's and mm-hmm. Dumais, it's incredibly disappointing that they are not going to get the opportunity. Some of the roster decisions, I'm not going to pretend like I know everyone who's going into this Team Canada roster. Um, but it seems like the people who are more in the know, someone like Scott Wheeler, for mm-hmm. example, is questioning some of the decision-making around what Team Canada is doing. Not In addition to cutting Dumais, they also apparently cut um, a prospect named Owen Beck, a Montreal Canadiens prospect, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be relatively shocking. So it seems like Canada... Team Canada might not be making the wisest decisions, but then again, 
when you've got Connor Bedard coming, do you really what what does it really matter? So <laughs> right. it's really disappointing that they're going to miss out on this experience yeah. of of this tournament. Um, everything that's kind of being bantered around right now seems like guys like Matej Chuck and um, Coolmans and Dumay will definitely have a shot to go next year. So mm-hmm. here's hoping. Um, yeah, I'm just I, I am fairly disappointed that they didn't get that experience this year this time around. Yeah, what well, actually, and I believe that Dumay and Kuhlman's, this would have been the last shot for them because they'll be 20 by the time the next tournament comes mm. around. So, but Matejchuk could still make it next year, although I'm kind of hoping that maybe he's in the mix for the Jackets next year because we could really use the help. Um, and I I, uh, I made a comment on one of Corey Promen's articles, and he responded, and it sounds like Wisconsin for Kuhlman's and Mooshaw for Matejchuk are having disappointing seasons so the players may have been hurt a little bit by being on teams that are not performing very well so that may have blocked things and obviously canada always has uh, an embarrassment of riches so you know hopefully though this especially will be- especially at the forward position where Dumay might might have just been edged out especially sure. as, as he's an over uh, he's an uh year post draft so right that might have and- that might have counted against him and he's undersized and not a great skater all those you know question marks might might still be lingering with them, but uh, um, hopefully these guys can uh, get this to uh, light a fire under them, you know, and they'll use that as motivation going forward. Um, Another story that some fans were up in arms about, I didn't see it as a big deal, but uh, the New Year's Eve game at Nationwide against the Blackhawks was originally scheduled to be a night game. The usual kind of New Year's Eve game the Jackets have, which is a lot of fun. It got moved to 1 p.m. because so it won't conflict with Ohio State playing in the playoff semifinal against Georgia. Um, it seemed like a sensible business decision to me. Uh, do you agree or not? The only way that that building is not 99% Blackhawks <laughs> fans on New Year's Eve is if you move that game time. Because otherwise, you might as well just move it to the United Center because it would be because mm. there would be no Columbus fans there i mean that's 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 exaggeration there'd be some Some, but we have to face the reality of the town that we live in we live in a town with an institution of more than 100 years and the blue jackets have not been great for the majority of their existence and if if push comes to sell if push comes to shove when ohio state is playing for the attempt the chance to play for a national title to possibly rematch against michigan or the Blue Jackets in a disappointing season get to go to uh, you, or the opportunity at the same time is go watch a disappointing Blue Jackets team have their arena half taken over by Blackhawks fans. I think we know what most people in this town are going to pick. I think it's a sensible decision. Mm-hmm. I think it's the correct decision. I don't like that it has to be made because ideally, in a great world, Columbus is winning enough and relevant enough that they don't have to make this decision and count out to a high state. But that's not the reality we live in in 2022. Moving it was the only decision they could have made, and I'm glad they did it. And also, I don't think it is a decision that is so unique to Columbus. And I know there's the thing about, oh, well, it's you know a pro team making the decision you know, to defer to a college team. But I think the fact that it's a playoff game is really important here. I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw like the Bruins, if they moved a game, so they weren't up against like the Patriots in the AFC championship, or, you know, if the Pistons moved a game because the Lions made the Super Bowl, you know, 
set aside the, the plausibility there. But, you know, right. I, I, I think you could see other teams in other leagues making, moving a regular season game if another team in the city was in a major high stakes playoff game, uh, especially if the team in the playoff game is the more popular team in the city. Um, and I think you would see even maybe Ohio state, like a basketball team would move a game if it was conflicting against like a jackets playoff game or something, you know, like in theory, the Boston Bruins literally made the, made a decision to uh, move up a game time against the Red Wings in 2018 to not conflict against game one of the, uh, Red Sox ALCS. So Boom. this happens. There you go. It actually happens. happens. Thank you for thank you for proving my point. I, I didn't uh, take the time to do the research. So so there you go. We are not alone in this. Uh, final note here, uh, and this sort of relates to the games from last week. But uh, two Jackets rookies made their debut: Kirill Marchenko, Tim Burney. Uh, any initial impressions from you from those rookies in those games? God, I could get used to Marchenko from Johnson. Yeah. That God, that's fun. Um, I ha- I'll be totally honest. I haven't really noticed Tim Burney all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was encouraged by seeing Marchenko. It was nice to see him get on the score sheet. Nice yeah. to see him. You know, re- it was nice to see him called up and rewarded for his uh, play in the AHL, where he is by all accounts having a great season down there. Yeah. Um, Nice to see that the moment wasn't too big for him as he stepped into a really crappy situation coming off a terrible loss. Yeah. Um, Calgary's a, you know, they were supposed to be a pretty good team this year. They've kind of struggled out of the gate thus far this year, but there's still there's still a lot of talent on that roster, mm-hmm. and the moment was didn't look too big for him. He came in and scored a goal. So, yeah, yeah, I I was really impressed by him. I mean, he's he's a big kid. He's definitely got the size for the NHL. He's got a great attitude. You know, when he met with the media before his uh, first game there against Pittsburgh, he was just all smiles. Um, you know, he took the demotion to Cleveland in the right way. Um, you know, he put up the points, which we knew he could do, but there was stuff beyond scoring that the team wanted him to work on. Um, you know, defensive zone stuff, neutral zone stuff. And he understood. But he's done it. Yeah, he, he understood, understood the assignment. What, yep. Uh, and he learned from it. And, and I'm glad that he's getting rewarded for putting in that work. He looks like a natural fit up here. The fact that he and Johnson played together in Traverse city and a little bit in the preseason, you could tell they still have that chemistry. I think that can get Cole Sillinger going as well. Who's on that line. Mm -hmm. I love seeing that line together. And, and I will say too, Tim Bernie, I have noticed him a bit. I really like what I see from him now. I mean, is he going to be a star defenseman? No. But is he like a legitimate, you know, number four, number five defenseman? I, I actually think so. I, I, I think he handles the puck well. I think he skates pretty well. Um, I think he's certainly a better option than like Jake Christensen or Gavin Brayrew or guys like that. So um, glad for him to get his shot. And for a defense that is just so battered with injuries, uh, I think he, he fills the spot there. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Given reports that we may or may not be able to hang on to Vladislav Gavrikov after this season, do you think Bernie ha- could step into that role? Maybe not immediately, but grow into it in the future. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't. He doesn't strike me as being the Gavrikov type in terms of the physicality. But then again, neither did Andrew Peak when he first came up. But he was able to transform himself. Um, so I think really for any defenseman in the organization that that's going to be sort of the call is if you can get stronger and more physical, do so. 
Um, and you can do that, I think, without sacrificing anything offensively, but just be able to play that role when the situation calls for it. You know, that is a path for sticking on the roster long term. So I do think it's important as well that we get a look at the defensemen that we have on hand. I hope that we see Samuel Kanashko up here at some point this season, because I do think it is prudent to trade Gavrikov because I think he has good trade value. We can get something for him, which doesn't close the door on re-signing him in the summer, which I would not be opposed to necessarily, but I do think we need to move him at some point, get other guys, their shots there in the lineup. Um, but Bernie, I think he can be a piece next year for sure. Um, and then, you know, I think Patechuk could have a chance to make an impression in camp. Uh, Corson Kuhlman's, I think, is definitely going to go pro, so he's going to be in the mix. Um, so there's there's some options there if we don't re-sign Gavrikov. But, um, so I think it's going to be a young defense for a bit, um, which ha- which carries its issues there. Mm-hmm. But, I also, but I also think there's a lot of skill with those guys, which if deployed the right way, which we'll get into here after the break, could be good, but we're just maybe not at that not at that point yet. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, boy, we've got some thoughts for you. Buckle up. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. So last week was, um, that was a week of hockey. There was a two to four loss at home to Detroit. There was a one to four loss at Pittsburgh. Then the next night back home against Buffalo, a Wednesday night rivalry against our, our arch nemesis there, the Sabres. And we got pumped six goose in the first period on national TV and had the TNT panel just clowning on us. Uh, did score four goals in that game and still lost by five. Now, to the Jackets' credit, as awful as that was, and it was really awful, arguably the lowest point in franchise history, uh, they did rebound with a 3-1 win at home against Calgary on Friday and then a 6-5 overtime win against the Kings, which I'm happy to get a win. I'm not so happy about three blown leads in that game. Um, But 
let's start though. Yeah, with the response, does do the two wins? Does that make you feel any less bad relative to how you felt on Wednesday and Thursday? I want to be careful in how I answer that question. <laughs> Friday night, yeah, made me feel better. Okay. Friday night, I thought was encouraging. They seem to play a complete game mm-hmm. against a team that is generally regarded as more talented than them, certainly more ready to contend coming off of what they had last year. Sure, they lost Gaudreau and lost Matt Kachuk, but they brought in Kadri and they brought in Huberdo. So, got some talent on that roster. A better Should be coach. More ready to get a better, <laughs> hands down, a better coach. Um, and the Jackets played, generally speaking, a complete game and yeah. won that game. I was less, con- I was, I felt less good about the game on Sunday. Yes, they won. Yes, they got mm-hmm. two points. As you mentioned, they blew three different leads and won on probably the stupidest, flukiest <laughs> overtime goal I have ever seen in my life, where, yes, Johnny Gaudreau is credited with it, but it is credited with him for existing in a physical space because line A shot just bounced off of him and into the net. Um, so, yes, they got two points. Yes, they got... Yes, they, yeah, they got four points on the weekend. That's far more than I was expecting coming off of Wednesday. But that does not erase what Wednesday night was. Under not only not only Wednesday, but you you capitulated again to the Pittsburgh Penguins. You mm-hmm. you led early and were dominated for the final forty minutes by Pittsburgh, and then came out and played what I would consider to be the single worst period of Blue Jackets hockey I have ever watched in my adult life. Oof! It. it I mean, yeah. There's no other. There's no. There's no. There's no putting lipstick on this pig. No. None. None whatsoever. It's. Yeah. It, it was such a bad game, and what really bugs me about this team is how many games they've had, where early on, they end up completely out of it. Um, because I could I could take this team being bad. I could take this team losing to better teams. What I can't take is this team not being competitive. Last year, you could never count this team out. They had a bunch of comebacks. They were always willing to fight back in a game. This team, the minute they face some adversity, they crumble. And there are a number of games where they come out and they actually have a pretty good first period. And then in the first intermission, the other team makes adjustments comes out strong in the second and the jackets have no response for the last 30 to 40 minutes. This is a continued thing. Every so many of their losses. I actually, I looked up a stat the other day cause I was talking about this with a friend and to, you know, talking about the, how the team's going and of their 17 losses, 12 of them are by three or more goals. Ugh. <laughs> Only five of the losses are by two or one goal. <laughs> so when they, lo- when, you when, they- lose, when they lose, they lose. They lose hard. And that's, that part sucks. So they, you know, they give up three quick goals against Pittsburgh in the second period. You know, like the game's done. The game is just mm-hmm. done. Um, Buffalo, the, you know, the game was done in the, in the first period. Now, game, game was over by the first TV timeout. 
Woo. And they, I'll give a little bit of credit, especially for like the line, a line, the Gaudreau line, like, you know, line, I got two goals. Gus Nyquist got two goals. Like those guys didn't stop playing, but Buffalo also clearly took their foot way off the gas. And even though we got two goals back in the second to make it six, two, then we gave up three unanswered goals to make it nine, two by the second intermission, which is really, really bad. There's just, there's a lack of focus. Um, there's the fact that, you know, Corpy got pulled after the third goal that we gave him the first Elvis came in. And then after the second intermission, Elvis got pulled again and Corpy went back in because Elvis had given up those three softies in the second. And, uh, it was just so, so bad. And I was so frustrated with Sean Corrali because now I like Corrali a lot. I like what he brings to the table. He's having another good season overall, but he took four penalties in the first and you cannot do that. And if I were coach, I would have nailed him to the bench. I would have just, I would have told him I was, to stay in the locker room after the first intermission because he would not be coming back in the game. I was just going to say, and this is where this is where we just we're going to we're going to rip the bandaid off and get into coaching because yeah. a competent coach who can who understands the moment and can read the moment who has been around the block for more than 10 minutes knows his who knows his team and is in control of the team sits him down. He sits he sits Sean Corrali down and just says, you're done for the night. The. <sighs> This team is so poorly mismanaged from behind the bench that it is beyond words breathtaking. Yeah. This team, yeah, they, they led early against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh adjusted, Columbus capitulated, and there was no response, no adjustments from the coaching staff. They come out the next night after losing to their, you know, we can't call Pittsburgh a rival because we haven't beat them since 2019. <laughs> so when you lose to the neighbors to the state on the to the state to the east, you come home, you're on national TV for one of your few national TV appearances. You would think this team would be ready to go. The coaching staff would have you know, made some adjustments, had this team ready to go with a solid game plan to come out and execute and perform well in front of the home fans on national TV. And Tage Thompson had four goals and an assist in the first period. I mean... What are you doing? Where is the structure? Yeah. Where is the game plan? Where are any adjustments? Anytime Brad Larson seems to make any adjustment, it's just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks in the middle of a game. Lines don't. Then after the game, we go right into the next game where nothing else has changed. We're back to the same old lines that started the previous game poorly, and we're back to square one. It has been more than a hundred games of this stuff, and it is it's the same song and dance. Every this the same consistent issues crop up every single night for this team. They might be there. Some nights they're better. They're, they're good enough to play through it. The NHL is the most, they're the most talented mm-hmm. hockey league in the country, in the world. Every, every team's going to get wins now and then some nights they can put it behind him, but it seems like a lot of year, a lot of nights this year, they can't, they are not rising to the task. And that is a function of coaching. They are less than the sum of their parts right now. Yeah. They seem unprepared too often. Uh, it's just, it's not acceptable. And, the, the the ice time thing really gets to me because, as said, you see Corrali, you know, our best penalty killer, sitting in the box, not helping the team, hurting the team with those penalties, um, and he doesn't pay a price for it. But then on Tuesday in Pittsburgh, in the first period, the Sillinger-Marchenko-Chinikov line 
was absolutely dominant. I think they only allowed like one shot attempt against when they were on ice. They looked great. They were spending all their time in the offensive zone, creating action around the net, looking great. In the second period, they played two shifts. Two shifts. Now, there were a number of penalties in that period, so that kind of throws off the rotation and stuff. That's an excuse that Larson trots out a lot. I don't accept that as an excuse, okay? You make it make it happen. Get your best players out there, the players that are playing well. You keep finding ways to get them out there. And don't do this crap where, like, the first shift after a penalty, you, like, throw out the fourth line or the first shift after a goal, you throw out the fourth line. Or even any time that the Corrali line is getting an offensive zone faceoff, why? Why? What is the point of that? What is the point of that? Oh, it makes no sense to me. It's it's emblematic of a bigger issue of he. How do I want to say this? <laughs> Brad Larson, Brad Larson. I've made this I've made this comparison before, but it's just kind of being reinforced right now. Like putting the fourth line out there, yeah. After a goal or something to like, I don't know, set a physical tone or like maintain momentum. You know, be hard to play against so the team can't respond. That's something John Tortorella would do. Right, you know, that's right. it's very much a torch mindset. This is Brad Larson attempting to be John Tortorella, without understanding any of the rationale of why Torch would do something in some situations. But Torch wouldn't always make these decisions. There were mm-hmm. there were nuances to how John, and I'm not by any means bring, screaming for John Tortorella to come <laughs> back, because we all know that I wasn't his biggest right. fan when he was here. But to to what the logic was for Tortorella, there was at least a logic behind it. I don't see any rationale behind what um, Tor- or behind what Brad Larson's doing. It's like, like, like I said, this comparison. It's like when Mark Helfrich took over for Chip Kelly. It's like mm-hmm. he was trying to be Chip Kelly without understanding the why behind anything. He doesn't. There is no why behind what Brad Larson is doing on a night-to-night basis or in a in any given game situation. I yeah, guarantee you that. It, it, Okay. Yeah, so it's like um, the way that so many of Bill Belichick's former assistants did not have the yeah. success on their own because so many times they tried to copy what Belichick did when they were there, but that ignored the fact that Belichick was constantly evolving as the game evolved, trying to stay ahead of it. Um, and so, yeah, Larson, this is a great point about him trying to mimic what Torch is doing. He's kind of a cargo cult Tortorella. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just mm-hmm. doing some things that Torts did, but not understanding the context in which Torts did. Like, so there were times where Torts was playing his veterans more than the younger players. But a lot of times when that happened, those vets were playing well and the team was winning games. I could forgive that when the team was being successful. I understood why he was doing it in that case. But if the team right. is not winning and you're playing the veterans, Maybe don't play the veterans as much, right? Right. I I didn't I didn't like Boone Jenner getting you know sixty percent offensive zone starts, but a lot of times it, or you know, but a lot of times or heavy third period minutes, yeah. but a lot of times Boone Jenner was out there seeing out a win in a one goal game. Exactly. And you know what? You, you know what? You know what? The you know what he was doing there? Seeing out a win. What are we not yep. seeing right now? Wins. <laughs> exactly. It's it exactly. It's a cargo cult John Tortorella thing. It's. <sighs> Is this a part where we where we talk about the practice thing too? Sure. Because 
I listened. I don't know if you listened to the Front Nationwide podcast where yeah. uh, Portsline was talking about practice and how for those for those who may have, may have missed it, I don't know how you possibly could have after that <laughs> debacle that was Wednesday night. But Eric Branson said that you know we're not practicing well as a team right now. We're not. Um, he basically just said that like we're not practicing well as a team right now, yeah. which sounds like an innocuous statement at first. But when you when you when we kind of really sat and thought about it, it's like hockey culture. These players never talk bad about their coaches, literally ever. Like, yeah. like it's like pulling teeth to try to get like the most mundane statement humanly possible from one of these players. Right. So, for a player to like publicly say something about like what a coach is doing in practice is like, what mo- to me was like monumental news. I was like, I can't believe he came out and said this. Mm-hmm. And then for Portsline to go not only like confirm it via tweet, but he also was like talking in his podcast about like, yeah, they they. A lot of times, guys don't know what drills they're doing before they get to practice. Mm-hmm. They spend a lot of time on the whiteboard trying to like work out like, what a drill is and stuff. It's like when I was in high school playing sports, I knew what I was doing at practice twenty four hours ahead of time before right. I showed up at the court. Like I don't like these guys are professional. Athletes. This is ostensibly a professional organization, and the head coach doesn't know what he's doing at practice the next day or like how to explain a drill. And then there were reports that, like, over in Finland, like, Finnish reporters were, like, clowning Larson on saying, like, he's this guy has no idea what he's doing. It's yeah. – when you're catching it from – when you're when you're catching it from a team report – a team beat reporter who's there every day yeah. who uh, – and let's be, let's be honest, Portsline doesn't really say much bad – negative about the organization really ever. So for him to come out and, and basically confirm a player calling the coach out – this to me is like send, this should be sending giant red warning flag flashes of like something is badly wrong here and we I, something is badly wrong. Yeah, yeah, and then unfortunately, Good Branson did have to walk it back before his Friday's game, and he wanted to make it clear to the media that um, you know he didn't mean anything against the coaches that that was more just about what the players are doing, blah blah blah, and sure. that was disappointing to me that. He felt he had to do that, or if the organization maybe had pressured him behind the scenes to clarify that, uh, that's, you know, just, just stick with it, you know, but it, but even if he was saying that's just a player thing, I still think it's on the coach is to press the right buttons to get the players practicing better. If the players aren't practicing well, the coaches have to fix. That's a warning sign because if you don't practice well, you're not going to play well. Mm-hmm. So if they're not practicing well, you've got to fix that. You've got to nip that in the bud right away. And it looks like it's been a thing that's been happening all year that they haven't been practicing well because they haven't been playing well. And they've come out looking unprepared so often. And even the times where they do look prepared in the first period, they get out adjusted in the second period. That's on coaching. The better teams, the smarter coaches are making adjustments, and Larson is never able to make a counter move. Yeah, no, I, I you're completely correct. It's... It's incredibly frustrating to see a roster. I didn't. I didn't think this team was a playoff team going into the, the season. I didn't think they were. Um, we had disagreements on how many points that this team would finish with, um, but none of us really thought this. None of us here at the Cannon really thought this was yeah. uh, a playoff roster, but. The GM came out and said preseason, "We think we can be a playoff team." Mm-hmm. And the 
there were fans who bought into that and said, if the, if the GM believes we could be a playoff team, then we should be contending for a playoff team. Whether or not that was realistic from the fans' perspective, GM put it out there that this is this should be, we should be at least in contention and in the discussion. We, we're dead last in the East or I, yeah. somewhere. We're down near the bottom right now with a coach who is in over his head and we are a team playing less than the sum of the parts. Far less than the sum of their parts right now. At some point in the middle of that first period on Wednesday night, it had to cross someone's mind that this cannot possibly be good enough and this cannot possibly go on. And if it didn't, then we have a huge problem here because nothing I saw on Wednesday night was remotely competent or was remotely close to competent for an ostensibly professional franchise. And I am very much getting tired of hearing the same old song and dance with no real answers anywhere in sight. And if the coach isn't going to hold the players accountable like Corrali in that game, then the coach needs to be held accountable. And if the coach isn't going to be held accountable, then the GM needs to be held accountable for that. And if the GM is not going to be held accountable, then the team presidents and the ownership, all of them need to be, I think it's, it feels like just a top down cancer permeating the organization where they are accepting this not good enough as being good enough. And, uh, I think, you know, I thought this team could maybe sneak into the wild card if lots of things went right. And obviously things have not gone right. The, the injuries are a factor. Uh, I hope they don't fool themselves into thinking that the injuries were the primary factor because this team was bad, even when healthy, uh, goaltending has been bad. Elvis in particular has been a massive disappointment. Um, and then even setting aside that, I just think even if you had the same 18 players on the ice as we've had in these games, that I could get more points out of this team just by tweaking the lines and tweaking the deployment. You know, not playing Eric Branson 24 minutes a game, playing Kent Johnson more than 12 minutes a game, things like that. I feel like I could have squeezed a little bit more out of this team. Not to be a playoff team, they'd probably still be bottom 10 in the league. But I don't see a reason why this team, who I think is more talented on forward than they were last year, why they should have fewer points this year than they did last year. That That's the part that bothers me. We are staring up in the standings at Ottawa and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. We are yeah. staring up in the... We are tied in the standings as we sit here recording this podcast right now. With the Arizona Coyotes on points, they have a better points percentage than us. Yeah. There are exactly two teams in the league behind us. Chicago, who's actively trying to be bad, and Anaheim, who didn't win a game in regulation for like 20-odd games. <laughs> First of all, that just blows my mind as an aside. Yeah. But, um, but it's like... I didn't expect this team to be world beaters this year. I didn't expect them to really contend for the playoffs. I am the probably the most cynical writer at the Cannon. Even I didn't see this coming. Right. This is um, this is an unmitigated disaster. Mm-hmm. And if I think that, if the broken cynic of this website thinks that this is an unmitigated disaster that even I didn't see coming, how can someone on Nationwide Boulevard not be thinking that? and not be hold, trying to hold someone accountable for it. Yep. Yeah, this was, even if we didn't make the playoffs, this year was supposed to be a year of development, supposed to be a year of finding out what we had. And this team is not developing, 
this team is not getting better. And hey, there's still time. There's still what 56 games left or something like that. Like maybe they'll surprise me. Maybe they'll improve a bit. I'm open to that, but I'm not I'm not keeping my hopes up. I just don't think it's possible with this uh with this coaching staff at the moment. And if the coaching staff if if management believes this coaching staff is sufficient, then I've got a big problem with management then. Agreed. One last plug before we go. Um, best wishes to Mike Leach and his family as um, Coach Leach down in Mississippi State is going through some massive health problems right now. Um, just want to send the best to the Leach family and Mississippi State. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Sorry for being off for a few weeks. There was holiday crap and all that, so forgive us. Hopefully we'll be back next week with a little bit more to talk about. Hopefully maybe some more wins to talk about. Who knows? We'll see. But thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to angelaperley.com for more music and show dates.